Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 102 of the Cloudcast. Uh, once again, we're coming to you live from New Orleans here at uh, Cloud Open and LinuxCon. Uh, these shows and the next half dozen or so shows are going to all be sponsored by uh, Open at Citrix and also by the Linux Foundation. Um, we're going to apologize a little bit. We didn't do this on the last show. We are right in the middle of the show. So there is like a circus atmosphere going on. There's video games, there's foosball, there's conversation. So we apologize for all the background stuff. But uh, lots of good guests. And we want to welcome Mr. Joshua McGinty from Piston Cloud Computing. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, and, and where's James Waters? Or even fake James Waters? Uh, actually, fake, fake James Waters. I think I saw him down the hall over there. <laughs> it's, uh, you've, you've really jumped the shark when your fake Twitter account has a fake Twitter account. Yeah, so, so story behind that real quick. What, what was it, a couple weeks ago? We were yeah. out in San Francisco, and, and we saw James out, and we were giving him crap about it. And That's right. We went to dinner. With, you were there, and James was there, and we said, yeah, we're going to have Joshua, and we're going to have fake James Waters on the show. And... James was pissed that he wasn't going to be. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I I think uh, they've sort of kissed and made up because I haven't really seen them attacking each other in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I know it's kind of weird. That's about. So, for anybody who doesn't know your background with with OpenStack and with Piston Cloud, give us the the two minute version because I think most people do. But just for anybody who's new, uh, sure. what you were doing before and and what you do now. So the the Cliff Notes, I ran an engineering team at NASA that built uh, NASA's cloud platform called NASA Nebula, um, and then uh, spun that out as an open source project, uh, originally called Nova CC. Uh, it launched on my blog in, in the summer of 2010, and shortly thereafter we got an email from Rackspace saying, hey, we've got this great idea for a big open source cloud computing project. We want to call it OpenStack. Do you want to join forces? So, you know, since then I've been uh, running around in the OpenStack world. Uh, I left NASA and started a company called Piston Cloud early 2011. Uh, and I've just been, you know, flying around the world preaching the gospel of OpenStack pretty much full time since then. Very cool. Very cool. So, aside from your 24-hour-a-day day job, you're also part of the OpenStack Foundation. Yeah. You're on the board. Run talk, a couple of committees. Right. Yeah. So, talk about that, and then, to a certain extent, you know, like, like where is it today? It's what? It's a couple years old. Mm -hmm. um, and then compare that to some of the other either open source projects or foundations or these things that are kind of doing governance, because it's, it's a little bit unique, right? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it is. And... Uh, so I'm on the OpenStack Foundation board, I'm a member of the Python Software Foundation, and I'm on the uh, customer advisory board for Cloud Foundry, for the new Cloud Foundry community. Um, and I mean, in a previous life before NASA, I worked on the Netscape browser, and I worked on, on uh, the Mozilla code base. So I've been doing open source for a long time, and I've seen it done a number of different ways. Um, just inside OpenStack, we've changed the governance model pretty much once a week since we started. Uh, the original board was uh, two people from NASA, two people from Rackspace. That was that was the equation. So it was Jesse Andrews and I from the NASA side, and it was I think Jim Curry and Jonathan Bryce originally, if I'm not mistaken. Although that changed pretty quickly. 
as soon as we launched the community, obviously 40 other companies joined, and they all said, hey, we'd like to maybe be involved as well. We evolved that to uh, was originally the Project Oversight Committee, which had a few elected seats, and then the Project Policy Board, which then became the Technical Committee, and then eventually we launched the, the foundation. Actually, the OpenStack Foundation's only been around for about a year. Um, the drafting process was really complicated. By the time we started drafting the charter of the foundation, we had thousands of members already. And, I mean, it's pretty common if you look at the Eclipse Foundation or the Apache Foundation or even the Linux Foundation to have these really large organizations that are really invested in the future of a single project, but you might only have a half dozen or a dozen really serious members, you know, gold or diamond or platinum members, and they're usually IBM and Intel and, uh, and Citrix. Deep pockets. Deep pockets. <laughs> and so you can charge them a half million dollars a year, and this seems totally fair, and they're happy to pay it. Um, you know, you look at OpenStack, we've got somewhere over 200 companies involved, and a lot of them are startups like mine. Uh, half a million dollars a year is simply out of reach, right? And, and if I had a half million to put into OpenStack, uh, I would be paying for five developers instead of just giving money to the foundation. Right. So we tried to come up with this level playing field approach, and, I mean, literally, we spent the first two years of OpenStack arguing on the right way to do this and how would we end up with a model that really worked. Um, I'm giving a speech this afternoon on whether I think that works, sort of scaling community and, and how the OpenStack community turned out. But um, I think the best proof point is uh, the Python Software Foundation recently went through some, some revamping of their, of their corporate governance. And the discussion on the members' mailing list, a lot of it was around the fact that they wanted to borrow some lessons learned from the OpenStack Foundation and say, hey, we could be a little bit more like this. We can recognize different classes of contribution and allow people to participate in different ways. So let's touch on that a little bit. So you can go a million ways around foundations, you know, who drives stuff, does it get yeah. fragmented, blah, blah, blah. blah. You, you kind of took a lead on an issue know, six, eight months ago around interoperability, yeah. right? And there was this concern of, A, are people giving the code back? Or B, are you are you saying you do OpenStack, but maybe you don't? Like, yep. talk about where that's gone. Talk about this thing called RefStack. Like, what's, what's going on with that? Sure. So, I mean, we've been struggling with this issue since day one. And originally, I took a totally hardline approach, right? The first couple of summits, and actually, <laughs> I think one of the reasons Citrix... Uh, left OpenStack um, and, and sort of fostered CloudStack based on cloud.com and then donated it to Apache is because uh, I took a stance that said only Python will be in OpenStack and calling your product OpenStack means it's running the OpenStack code. No API compatibility, you have to run the same source code. Um, and it was a pretty hardline stance uh, which I thought was appropriate at the time, what we really wanted to do was foster a large community of folks who were all contributing to the same code base. And the best way to do that is to say you've got to use that code base in order to use the name. Remember, OpenStack is Apache 2 licensed. And without trivializing an entire field of like open source licensing, the only thing that the foundation actually controls is the word OpenStack. Right? Source code's freely available. You can take it, you can close source it, you can fork it, you can do whatever you want. Um, but you can't use the word OpenStack unless you follow the rules. And those rules have evolved over time. Um, and and that, that hardline position that I originally took, we've been backing away from over the last couple of years. I think the best conversation we had about it, and I'll come back to sort of how we kicked yeah. off RefStack, but, but the summary conversation, we did a panel... 
uh, I guess it was OzCon. Might have been OzCon. Might have been OpenStack Summit. We did, I think, four or five panels at three or four different conferences in the same month. Um, and we summarized it by saying mature projects need API compatibility. And nascent or early projects need common code base. Because if you're evolving really, really rapidly and you have everyone contributing to that same code base, you can't move fast enough around API compatibility simply because the process of evolving an API with a bunch of different implementations is, is by its definition, slow. Yep. And we see what happened with HTML and baking the standard too early and saying it's a standard people can implement however they want. Half of innovation on the web went into Flash for a decade. Right? We, yeah. we just froze the standard too early. So we've had this debate and said, okay, well, across the OpenStack projects, some of them are mature enough now that API compatibility makes sense. We look at Object Store, for instance, and there's a ton of implementations of the Swift API, and it makes sense to allow people to use all of those different implementations and call it OpenStack compatible. There are other places where the pace of innovation is still too rapid, and seeing a bunch of parallel uh, implementations there is going to lead to, to fracturing and poor user experience. And so on those sides, we're drawing the line in a different place and saying, no, this part of the code, you have to use the code. You can't just use an alternate implementation. Um, where we kicked this off really was uh, at the board, I proposed a new committee, which is a weird thing. You know, I, I never thought I'd be on a, on a board to begin with, some nonprofit board, and then to be you know, running a bunch of committees uh, kind of the opposite of what I do well, which is, you know, ship first and ask questions later. <laughs> but um, I bought this domain name called refstack.org, and, and uh, Monty Taylor and Rob Hirschfeld and I, and I think Alan Clark and a couple of others, championed this proposal that said, let's just use automated testing. Let's just use the same Tempest test suite that we're using for gating code commits to manage what can be called OpenStack. And rather than making it a Boolean test, let's produce a scorecard. Let's take every cloud out there, whether it's a private cloud product or a public cloud service, and allow folks to register an endpoint and some credentials, run the test suite, and give them a scorecard. It says, these are the marks you're allowed to use based on how your cloud actually behaves. Um, and expose that to the developer community so they know exactly what OpenStack compatible means and that there's a reference environment that they can go and test their application with their library against say, okay, I know that if it passes here, it's going to work on any OpenStack cloud. Now, is that, is that working today? Can people go get scores and compatibility? Or is it's, that getting, it's getting really close. Uh, I've got a couple developers working on it at Piston. HP's been doing some contribution. IBM's been working with us on improving test coverage. Uh, we're optimistic that we'll have a Rev 1 of the scorecard in time for the Havana release, which is coming up real quick. But uh, V1, of course, is not really for public consumption. It's got to go to the board first, yeah. right? Because now, now we've involved the board. Actually, the only, the only responsibility that the board holds, as opposed to the technical committee or the user committee, is this definition of core. What, IP, what APIs do you have to support? And in all, in all reality, like, that's, that's fair. I mean, if somebody changes a law and you change like you need to have some period of time to go go okay well I, I was wherever I was if that's where we're moving if you all of a sudden just expose a whole bunch of people and go no nope, bad bad bad, bad. I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to say like it's a bad PR thing but it does all of a sudden it's, lose some confidence just overall and people don't really know why you might have absolutely. all of a sudden have all these black marks on something which may or not actually be the case but it could be the, the irony right now is that the definition of core has never changed since we launched OpenStack since the original trademarks were signed which Remember, we're done before we had the foundation. So the first trademarks were signed with OpenStack LLC, which was owned by Rackspace. And it requires you to ship the Nova source code 
and the Swift source code, and that's it. So if you look at the, the ecosystem of products right now, folks may or may not support Keystone. They may or may not support floating IPs because they're an extension. Uh, Quantum's not even all, you know in that ecosystem yet. So getting that up to parity with what people believe OpenStack is, which is fairly well cemented right now, uh, is, is a really critical task for the board. Yeah. How, how much, I mean, so, I mean, the, the, the conversation that, or the, the, the headline of the day these days is always OpenStack API compatibility or OpenStack AWS. And, I, like, I don't want to turn this into a, an opinionated thing or a Randy bias thing. Like, if I'm an outsider, like, I'm just a potential customer of Piston or I'm a potential customer of anybody's, like, how much should I be paying attention to that? Or, like, what, what, how do you look at it from an outsider? Or do you just sort of let the noise kind of bubble out right now? What, what how do you do I generally that? ignore the noise until a customer asks me about it, you know, which doesn't happen very often. It does happen occasionally. Um, and the answer for the customer is, how are you consuming OpenStack, right? Are you using the dashboard, in which case you really don't care? Are you using, you know, RightScale or Service Mesh or Scalar or Dynamic Ops or Instratus, Instratius, sorry, <laughs> Dell bought a vowel. George company. Um, and uh, if you're using one of those, you don't care, yeah. right? Because they support both sets of APIs. APIs yeah. Are you using uh, a client library, using Fog, using LibCloud, using JCloud? You don't care. Again, they've abstracted that problem away from you. The only case where I've found folks really care, which is the audience we're gearing RefStack towards, is the folks developing those libraries. And they say, look, we really, really, really want to make sure that if we're building the right way, quote-unquote, to provision a VM on top of an OpenStack cloud, that we know we can rely on metadata always being there, and floating IPs always being there, and the way volumes are attached and detached working reliably across different environments. Um, so that's that's the audience for for whom API compatibility matters, okay. and and it's not really about the APIs. It's about the underlying capabilities, right. right? Can you turn a VM off and then turn it back on and not have it be deleted in between times? That's a capability. Yeah. The API can either express that or not. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. So uh, a few weeks from now. Um, we were, we were joking earlier, um, you know, either if you work for an OpenStack company, you're either going to Hong Kong or you won't have a job. That's the, uh, Pretty much. That's the new uh, annual review. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't get a ticket, it's probably not a good sign. Yeah. So what were you saying? You're saying about 5,000 people. We capped it at 5,000. Um, and is it sold out yet? I think it's getting close. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't looked at the numbers recently. We, we capped it at 5,000 for the full summit, of which 4,000, I think, are general membership. So we've changed the, the – we have two classes of tickets for the first time. Okay. And the goal we've, – we've had this balance between wanting to make sure the customers and the developers are in the same room as much as possible so that what we're building is actually informed by the folks using it. Um, and at the same time, the pushback from the developers every summit saying the rooms are too crowded, we can't really get closure on the architecture decisions because we have too many people who've, this is the first time they've ever heard about this and they just want to be in the room. Um, and so we, we've, we've got this general session track now where folks who just want to understand OpenStack can come for the first couple of days, the ticket's a bit cheaper, um, but then they're not going to have access to all those, those uh, summit discussions. What, what are the, you know, just off the top of your head, top four or five, like what are the big either architecture things going on? I mean, like Neutron sort of went through, yeah. you know, the, the networking thing is going through some stuff. There's some real-time stuff. But like what are the big four or five that you're kind of expecting will be big discussions or big announcements or big architectures right. will come out of it? There's always a few that are um, 
that have never gone away. Keystone is always a major issue at every summit because it's hard, right? Auth-N and auth said middleware for an entire ecosystem is hard. And there was a lot of work put in on federation um, and it's probably going to get respun again because a lot of those federated systems are, are you know, out in production now and folks are going, okay, V2 needs to work differently. Right. Um, so Keystone's always going to be top of the list. Uh, there's a big push to unify cloud and big data. And I hate the term big data, so I always say it with like air quotes. Um, it's probably a NASA prejudice of like, you don't even know what big looks like. <laughs> That's not a knife. Now this is a knife. Um, sorry, but um, no, in all, all in honesty, there's, there's, the Savannah project has been pushed forward, the Hortonworks involvement in the OpenStack community, a lot of Hadoop focus, and then the corollary to that, supporting bare metal provisioning, supporting triple O, supporting Docker containers, uh, really broadening the capability of what OpenStack can be used to manage. That's going to be that's going to be a lot of focus. Um, I'd say the most contentious one that I'm expecting for Hong Kong is really heat. You know, and you just you look at the pass ecosystem, and this is one of those places where I originally took a really hard line position and said I don't believe OpenStack should ever include pass because it will make us an enemy of the ecosystem of folks we need to be partners with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see now we work a lot with Pivotal around Cloud Foundry. Red Hat has a very deep investment in OpenShift. You know, obviously the container-based pass solutions are, are Flynn and others are, are maturing, and and yet we have Heat. Now, in the center of OpenStack, saying, hey, we want to be a pass. We support the CloudFormation API. Can we be part of core? Um, this is going to be a pretty contentious debate because there are really good arguments on both sides. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, the pass conversation is kind of weird because on one hand, you've got developers who forever have said, there's tools I like, there's tools I don't like. Some of them like frameworks. I mean, like finding two developers that, that like the same set of stuff to solve the same problem is impossible. Never going to happen. And yeah. and while Pass sounds very cool on PowerPoint, and you know, fake James and real James would probably take offense to that. But like, it, you almost wonder like, does Pass really take over, or does something more like Amazon, which is sort of some hybridy thing, which is like its infrastructure, and then it's just a bunch of services, which you could think of as kind of like tools and. Like, I don't know what that right thing is. Or There's a spectrum here. It gets yeah. great. I gave a talk, OpenStack Summit in, God, I don't remember, San Diego maybe, called Paracloud, just talking about the relationship between infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. And my thinking has gotten a lot clearer since then, and I boiled it down to, look, apps and services are not the same thing. Services need to run in the infrastructure as a service layer. Apps need to run in a pass layer or on top of infrastructure as a service. Um, I run basically everything in Pass now. You know, RefStack, ironically, the RefStack.org website is hosted on both Cloud Foundry and Heroku, just because I think it's funny to do that. Um, but, you joker, you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, but seriously, it's so convenient to use Pass environment up until the, the line where it doesn't work at all. And that line for me is usually because I need a fundamental service that's not available in that Pass, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, where the services live and how we orchestrate around them uh, is is part of this confusion, and I think it's going to wash out a lot in the next two years. The challenge with heat is that it's it's really being espoused as this idea of, hey, it's, it's an orchestration tool you could use to stand up an OpenStack cloud environment like Triple O, or you could use it as a pass solution on top, and that's where I think it's misguided. I don't see any kind of orchestration as being right for both apps and services. They really have different needs. Yeah, makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. So, we 
talked on this podcast previously a bunch of differences between project and product, mm-hmm. right? And tell us a little bit about piston product. Sure. Um, and you know, because you, your company more so than a lot of the other companies seems very much more willing to go after the enterprise. Absolutely. And embrace you know some of the more evil aspects of the enterprise so so for those that aren't familiar again you know kind of give everyone a quick introduction of to why i'm saying that right and some of the advantages i mean we've called piston the the enterprise openstack company for years right and uh i was passionate when we started the company about doing more of what i had been doing for nasa which is running a private cloud at scale um but I wanted to get out of actually running it myself and automate myself out of a job. So build build some software that would do what we used to do by hand. Um, and there were some specific pain points, like being able to do an upgrade without turning things off, right. that I was <laughs> kind of fixated on. Um, there are a couple of things that really make you know Piston OpenStack a product as opposed to a project. Um, the biggest one is we just make a bunch of decisions, right? So if you look at OpenStack as a framework, there's what, 47 configuration files with over 600 options? 90% of those combinations don't work, right? You just, there, there is no way to take hypervisor X right. and SDN solution Y and storage solution Z right. and set things up and have anything function. Like, forget performance, it's just correctness isn't even there. Um, that's true of any framework, okay. right? That's just the nature of having a framework that has to be very broad. Right. Uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of choices you have to make. And if you just hand people that framework and say, well, build yourself a cloud... Uh, they have to build a tremendous amount of in-house expertise, right? So you have this whole ecosystem of professional services businesses who specialize in saying, hey, we'll help you make those decisions, but it's still going to be custom-built for every customer, yep. right? Um, we really went one step further and said, we're incredibly opinionated. We're going we're gonna to give you a storage solution that works with a compute solution that works, with a networking solution that works, um, and then if you really need to go beyond that, maybe we'll give you some adapters. But um, So that's kind of the set of opinions, now, beyond those opinions, we built a bunch of core technology, and we, we did it to sort of address the things that have to happen under OpenStack. Right? OpenStack, uh, although it gets called the, the, open, the operating system of the cloud, it's not an OS, right? It's, it's a set of Python daemons and not even a mechanism for keeping those Python daemons running reliably. So if you say, okay, well, OpenStack exists above the OS, what's the best OS to run OpenStack on? And what's the best HA model to use to manage services that have to scale to tens of thousands of physical servers? So we built that, and we called it Moxie HA, um, and it's it looks a lot like Mesos, and I think, frankly, if Mesos had been out when we started the company, maybe we would have used that. Uh, but it, you know... It deals with master election of services. It deals with failover. It deals with strong fencing. It deals with configuration management in an environment where traditional CM tools don't really have the right capabilities. So multi-server item potency. Guarantee things happen in a particular order with particular state transition guarantees across just, you know, six data centers at once. Now, does that... So... If you just looked at, say, so that that's the underlying architecture. That's yep. that if you just looked at it somewhat like at a data sheet level. So let's say yep. you're let's say you're a VMware guy and you said, hey, I'm I'm tired of paying the licensing. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it works for a bunch of applications, pretty stateful applications. Either I'm looking at an alternative or whatever, and and you look at Piston Cloud, you go, oh wait, they do uh, live or almost live VM yep. migration. You do this resource pooling thing. Yep. You do this other stuff that kind of sounds familiar to VMware, but then you you talk sometimes about this. Pets and cattle. Like, uh, yeah. is it 
does your does your architecture what you guys did does it constrain it to certain applications does it make it work for old applications and new or what is it like what do you hear people because like you said you used yeah. to run this at NASA yeah. NASA obviously wasn't all mobile and web and big data applications five six years ago no, there was no. some old crap stuff yeah. can you use both can you do you can both? use both absolutely um, we're starting to see more and more interest in running things like SAP HANA yeah. on top of this you know and and originally obviously same as everyone else in OpenStack we said well what's what you're probably comfortable using this for is app dev and test Right, and the folks who are driving change in the data center are the DevOps guys, anyway. Yeah. So, like the the people who are motivated to buy because they have a, a pain they're trying to solve need something that just works and it just works really fast and it's easy to install and it doesn't take a lot of work to maintain. So that was the folks who bought our product initially. Now we're starting to see as central IT looks at man, we have 18 different OpenStack clouds inside our our ecosystem or inside our organization. Now, let's roll this up and call it central IT. How do we get our arms around it? Um, they're becoming the buyer. And they're also really interested in saying, wow, can you actually, can I put Exchange on top of this? Can I put SharePoint on top of this? Can I put SAP HANA on top of this? Can I do SLAs? Um, can I, yeah, what are my SLAs? What's a reservation look like? How do I give a performance guarantee? What's fair share really under the hood? Um, that's been a really exciting transition for us. And it's really been only in the last six months where folks have said, okay, well, we got, we got to production for Dev and Test. Now, now what does production for Legacy really look like? Gotcha. Um, the biggest barrier for folks when they're buying our product, look, we're super opinionated. And one of the, the opinions I came into this with is what I did at NASA, which is converged infrastructure. I said, I don't want to see a silo of storage and a silo of networking and a silo of compute. I don't want to see network controllers running on a set of servers. Yeah, okay, it's x86 gear, but it's five servers just for your network controllers and some special, that's garbage. Like, that's so old school. You're just, you're, you're building a new version of the same old problem. So we really say, look, if you don't want to do actually fully converged, if you don't want to run compute and storage and networking on the same servers, don't talk to us. Yeah. Go talk to somebody else. Yeah. Practically speaking, we can help people do it. If they kind of buy into that as a future vision and they need some help getting there, fine. We yeah. can work around that. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I think we are getting to a point where uh, everybody's going to lunch. You've yeah. got a bunch of uh, talks later. What else are you talking about this week? Or what? Where, where? If people are around the show and they're listening, or if people want to learn more about what you're doing, where are they going to find you in the next 48 hours or 48 days? Yeah, ironically, I'm only here for 24 hours. I got to fly out tomorrow morning. I've got partner and customer meetings in LA on Wednesday. We've got a full all-day infrastructure summit Thursday pulling a bunch of our customers together with a bunch of our um, portfolio sister companies' customers to talk about, well, here's what we got out of Piston OpenStack, and this is what we got out of this other system. Um, and then, I don't know, my, my speaking schedule is kind of insane, so I'm out in New York and then Philadelphia for other, other summits. The big topic um, for me is always the cultural transformation. Right? This is what was hard to begin with, and this is what I'm trying to help folks understand. This is what's different about being a cloud-driven business from business as usual with cloud like peanut butter spread on top, right? Don't, don't cloud wash shit. That makes me so bored. It's <laughs> <laughs> the topic of our last show. Yes. It's a theme so far. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So before we go, we'd like to once again thank our sponsors, uh, Open at Citrix, open.citrix.com, and the Linux Foundation, linuxfoundation.org. Uh, Joshua, where can everyone go to find more about 
Piston and the products. Pistoncloud.com. There you go. All right. So if you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.